Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMP's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always, my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Namaste, Darren. Um, I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, and I'm particularly excited because we are talking about a very interesting movie, a new entry on the list, an Indian movie that just came in. It is Tombad. It is available to stream on Amazon Prime if listeners want to check it out now. And joining us for this discussion, we have a spectacular guest. Uh, the wonderful Joey Kyo is joining us, who listeners may remember talked to us about Black Christmas uh, late last year. How are you, Joey? Hi! You stole my opener. I was going to say namaste. Oh, you can say namaste. I wrote it down and everything. Clever. <laughs> this is this is proper prep. I like this proper research and prep. I'm surprised I didn't write it down. I had I went through the whole kind of thing in my head of like <laughs> I'm going to write down. I might even write down namaste, Darren, and I'll put it at the beginning of my notes just so I get it. But it wasn't there. But somehow it just came out. Yeah, I mean, it would be really disappointing if we got through, like, you know, 40 minutes of the discussion, Andrew turns the page, like, oh, namaste, Darren. This is a scripted podcast. (laughs) I was was reading Joey's lines. Um, Um, Andrew's agent has been worried about the coverage he's getting on the show. He thinks he doesn't get any of the good things. What are these pink pages? All right. So actually, like, I I think we kind of mentioned it when we talked about like Black Christmas, but Joey is an expert in horror cinema. She has forgotten more about horror cinema than most of us will probably ever know. (laughs) When this movie came in, I reached out to Joey to ask if she would like to talk about it because I had not seen Tombad before. I had not even heard of Tombad until it appeared on the list. I saw that it was an Indian horror film. I did a bunch of a little bit of research and discovered that that is a relatively rare phenomenon. So I reached out to somebody who I knew was an expert and I said, Joey, would you like to join us to talk about Tombad? And Joey got back to me and she said, you know, I'm not sure I've I've seen it. I might have seen it. It's possible I've seen it in a festival. I think I may have forgotten it. And, you know, I watched this movie for the first time and I'm like, Joey, did you see this movie and forget it? This is a movie that you saw and completely just wiped. In from my defense, <laughs> I watch a lot of horror, and sometimes they meld together. Like I watched this um, Tunisian one earlier this week called Dakra, and I keep mixing the two of them up in my head, even though they have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> I keep being like, I must remember to mention. Oh no, that's a different film, actually. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Tumbad. I'm sorry. <laughs> um. So when you when you rewatched it for this though, did it feel like what well, did it feel like something you had seen before? What well, do you think this is the first time you've seen it? I think so. Oh. I'm genuinely I feel like I'm going senile in my old age because I there's stuff that I've seen five years ago that I can remember, and there's stuff that I've seen last week that I can't remember. Like it's just I don't know. It did remind me of other films though, so I wonder if maybe that was it <laughs> that I'd seen something similar along the way somewhere. Yeah, I mean, this is probably a good kind of introduction to, to kind of giving a bit of backstory and a bit of context to this, because like we we talked a bit about Indian cinema on the podcast before. We've done whole seasons of kind of like looking at, at Indian cinema and kind of like positioning it and discussing kind of like the evolution of it and things Temple like that. Doom. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that will be coming up. The The reason why we are discussing Tom Bad, there are a couple of reasons why we're discussing Tom Bad, Andrew. One of them is that I had originally suggest, thought of another movie for this slot and that didn't work out. So I was like, yeah, let's talk about a new movie. <laughs> and the second reason that we're talking about is I looked at the schedule and I realized that the only two Indian movies that we have discussed in the past two years are Dabang 3 
and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And I decided that Sri maybe Lankan. just... Yeah, yeah, it is technically Sri Lankan. But I decided that maybe, just maybe halfway between those two, we should talk about like a piece of Indian cinema that is regarded as being like actually good and actually like reflective perhaps of Indian culture. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I thought this might be a fun one to talk about. Um, but uh, yeah, but uh, watching it actually, I, yeah, it is worth noting. We've talked about like the evolution, the changes in Indian cinema and things like that, but it is one of the big arguments in Indian cinema or one of the big debates is the extent to which Indian cinema hasn't really embraced horror as a genre. Mm. Um, in particular, in the way that like we look at Japanese cinema, we look at Korean cinema, and we look at those kind of industries as having very rich veins of horror, K-horror and J-horror, you know, we kind of abbreviate them, and having very particular styles. And it was notable, like, when this film, and it had a very storied, very interesting, very long production, which is more than a little reminiscent of the production of Mad Max Fury Road in quite a number of ways. This is very much an Indian Mad Max Fury Road in terms of production. Um, it's but like, like six what years, is... wasn't it? Yeah, it was definitely yes! a passion project. Definitely. Dude, over four monsoon seasons. I was looking <laughs> at it and I was like, is that stage rain? No. No, I, I think it's just... Um... Like raining like that, like raining in sheets. Yeah. Yeah. It must have been tough to film, my God. Like they must have been so uncomfortable. Yeah. They, as, as Andrew mentioned, they shot over four monsoon seasons. They could only shoot uh, in like July and August. They picked a very remote location to use. A lot of the locations they use are actual physical locations. They found like rundown castles on which to shoot and rundown kind of like estates in which to shoot. Uh, apparently... And again, this is where you get into the Mad Max Fury Road territory. They brought all the footage they had to the editor. The editor took a look at it and said, this is not workable at all. This footage that you've given me is no good. So you got to go back and you got to reshoot a lot of it. You've got to cover a lot of this stuff. I'll keep a lot of the silent shots, but anything with dialogue you need to do again, basically. So they had to shoot the movie two or three times. Uh, the original cut of the movie was, I think, over 200 minutes long. And the release cut is down to a solid, nice 100 minutes as well. And then after it took, I think, three and a half years to shoot, they eventually managed to get it off to post-production. And it took another three years to do all the special effects and post-production editing uh, on this movie as well. It had a very, very long and very storied version, to, uh, sorry, journey to screen. But Joe, I was going to ask, what is your like understanding of Indian horror? As somebody who, like, as as you point out, you you, you do a lot of the festival circuits. You've mm. seen so many horror movies, you've kind of forgotten about them. Like, do you like what is your understanding of like Indian horror as a as a genre or as a? Well, to be honest, I didn't know too much about it. As you said, there's a huge, obviously, tradition of horror in Korea, in Japan, and then when I was reading up about it, I learned that this particular film was part of kind of a boom in Indian horror um, around 2018, which is, you know, really interesting. They had kind of a few things going on. But the interesting thing about Indian horror is that over there, apparently, now this is what I've read, they it doesn't do too well at the box office because a lot of these movies aren't considered very good. So it's interesting that this one, you know, sort of entered the 250 because it is considered, you know, it was kind of critically very well received. But apparently the issue with Indian horror is that it focuses too much on the occult. And as well, there's also an issue with them trying to ape sort of American horror, because obviously that's what does well at the box office. So there's this weird kind of tension between trying to honor actual, you know, Indian 
um, experience and trying to do something that's going to sell. You know, but Um, it's interesting because this one in particular, I feel like did do that quite well. You know, it it felt very authentically Indian or at least that experience from an outsider. But it also it, you know, it aped modern horror. Yeah, I mean, um, Adesh Prasad, who is is the co-director, he's and again, co-director in the sense of being a co-pilot. He he wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily the huge driving force behind it creatively, but he was more the guy who kept everything on the rails um, <laughs> to hear the accounts of its production. And he talked about, yeah, apparently like there was this B-horror culture in the 80s, but it was all kind of schlocky, disposable stuff. And he remarks that like one of the really odd things about like making Tombad is that like when they were making it, everyone was telling them that there's no market for it. Yeah. Like nobody will go and see your movie. They're shooting it in 2012 it's like in the horror movies don't perform well in india and like in the intervening six years you have like movies like the conjuring and the nun which are like these big hollywood blockbuster horror movies that start performing really well internationally insidious as well Mm -hmm. and they're like oh wait actually maybe there is a market for it so the fact that it took six years to make this thing and kind of get it out um is kind of like almost worked to its advantage because it seemed like the industry was finally uh ready for it to arrive which is is fascinating as well mm. um and, and andrew what about yourself so you you watched it on amazon i'm guessing um i did i did i watched it on amazon um what was the question <laughs> what, did, what did i what did i think of it yeah well what's your initial um, I know, impression I'd, I'd agree i'd agree with joey uh, in in that it was um it felt very um uh, original um you know that that um it wasn't kind of that it it it, it was i guess using some of the uh, touch marks of, of 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 horror but but feeling like um like it wasn't anything you had ever seen before yeah yeah um yeah so they did it I, I think it was successful enough in in terms of that balance um uh- in terms of like just like the origin and the backstory and kind of getting it to screen, um, like the director, the guy who actually drove it is is a guy called uh, Barve, um, and I'll find the full name now. But he was basically, uh, and again, fascinating story behind him because he was a kid who was dyslexic in school. Um, he had difficulty kind of reading and writing, and he actually became uh, his name is Rahi Anal Barve. Um, so he became an animator. Um, in order to like find a way to be creative to express himself creatively um he apparently wrote the script for tombad in over a single night in 1997 it was based on uh, stories that his cousin had told him during a camping trip and these stories have kind of stayed with him the irony is that those stories were apparently based on a series of stories written by a famous uh, indian horror um uh, writer i think uh, darep is his name uh, and we'll come back to that because those those stories are interesting because they draw from western tradition as well in a way that kind of is, is very interesting but basically he went back and he read the stories and he was like these stories are terrible these these stories aren't scary at all so he was like the idea is it's how you tell the story that matters. And he actually went off and he wrote a 600 or 700 page, depending on like whose story you're telling, storyboard version of this script that he wrote, this horror that he wanted to make, which again is something that reminds me of like George Miller's Mad Max, where George Miller didn't so much have a script as like a comic book, like flip book version of the movie that he wanted to make. I imagine um, that's easier for someone with dyslexia, especially. Yeah. Kind of, and it, it it almost makes less sense to write <laughs> a movie in in a screenplay. Yeah, 
particularly if it's so because vi- it's so visual like the idea is like yeah. you're trying to communicate a visual idea and a sense of mood which is it's yeah like- i mean if you if you're going to do like a merchant ivory kind of, uh, like uh, <laughs> yeah. a very kind of the um a you wordy know, quiet, yeah. um talky movie um you'd it makes more sense but yeah it's it's strange that um there are more people kind of who are just storyboard yeah who just kind of like wachowski style almost kind of illustrate a comic to a sense and like and it like barb kind of said that like he he kind of went off like because he he made an animated film and his producer said well what do you want to do next and he's like yeah i have this kind of thing that this thing that i would like to make into a movie The the thing um and it's like it's 600 pages long and it's like it's illustrated rather than written. And like the, the actor um, who produced it, Sohum Shah, who, who plays the lead character in it. And again, like a lot of the interviews I read are translated. So I, I don't want to put too much emphasis on this, but he talks about like, he, he doesn't talk about when I read the script. He says, uh, when Barve narrated the script to me, which again, feels very much like you hear about like Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron talking about like making Mad Max where it's like, I had no idea what was inside this man's head. I looked at the document and I couldn't fathom what was going to end up on screen. And you kind of almost get a kind of a sense of that when you look at like the the troubled stuff that happened behind the scenes where like the editor gets it and is like, this doesn't make any sense. How do I make these images fit together? Because it is an immensely visual film. And I didn't really notice that until like I, I heard the editor say, no, we threw out all the dialogue. But it is it is a lot of this movie... There is some dialogue in it. There's a couple of dialogue-driven scenes, but a lot of this is kind of like silent shots that are very atmospheric, very rich. The camera's pushing through these spaces. It's characters in kind of large surroundings. It has this very gothic horror sensibility to it that I kind of really liked. And I felt like I felt like there were bits of dialogue that were just captioned where yeah. where, where I couldn't hear yeah saying anything and it felt more <laughs> like a kind of like a you know like a comic book sort of like uh yeah you like know you're like you're storyboard yeah yeah because yeah, there is a scene where two characters are making out i think like in the <laughs> attic or at least that's the that's the like i couldn't hear yes. them speaking but the subtitles were down the bottom of the screen and it was like yeah it was an interesting kind of choice but all right then so i think like that's just kind of a very brief introduction to some bad but like just initially responding to it it's a very interesting film. I don't know that I have ever seen anything that is exactly like this. And I think that's kind of fascinating because mm. like when we talk about Indian cinema and we talk about like the modernization of Indian cinema, this was released the same year as Anadun, which is a, an Indian film that we've covered on this, which is like a black comedy Coen Brothers movie about organ trafficking. And like that, that was very much like presented as like Indian cinema kind of modernizing in that Mm. it doesn't have a lot of the trappings of Bollywood. It doesn't have big song and dance numbers, for example. It doesn't have gratuitous slow-mo. Whereas what's interesting about Tumbad is you're watching it and it reminds me a lot of kind of horror movies like, say, David Pryor's The Empty Man um, or the work of John Carpenter, um, that sort of stuff. But it also has like three musical interludes in which there's like a song narrating the action over a montage appearing. There is a climactic sequence that is like meant to be horrifying and terrifying, but which features a lot of like gratuitous slow motion, which I associate with Bollywood action sequences. Mm. And so like what I find fascinating about Tambad is that it, it is recognizably a horror film, but it's also still recognizably what I associate with some of the stuff that we've covered as Bollywood films. Like it still has the musical numbers. It still has the gratuitous slow mo. No dancing, though. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is that. There is some dancing. 
Oh yeah? They just don't break well, the fourth no. wall. I mean, it, it isn't oh. a brothel to be fair. It isn't a brothel. Yeah, I feel like it it's 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 it, it's kind of um It does watch, break the uh, Bollywood no kissing rule, to be clear. Oh. Uh, it does yeah, there's a lot more than kissing that goes on in this one, to be fair. Yeah, it felt like a very sexy movie in comparison to and it's not an especially sexy movie, but it felt like a very sexy movie in comparison to like what we expect from from Bollywood movies, having seen kind of, um, I suppose, just a few of them. It's definitely not sexless, anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and and it, 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 that is that is that is how kind of Bollywood movies can feel. Mm-hmm, definitely, um, sort of sex. They can feel very sanitized. Yeah, very chaste. Mm. Like, yeah. and again, like we we talked about, we watched like Salman Khan's To Bang Three, and it is like a weirdly horny but also chaste movie, which is a very strange combination for a movie to have. Wholesome and horny, uh, which is a very odd place to position yourself. But Tambad is he's it's... like definitely got a penis, but like not necessarily <laughs> not doing anything with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just wants you to know that it's there. Um, but <laughs> but like. That's the thing. Well, like watching, yeah, watching Tambad though, it, like it's it's an interesting kind of fusion because it is like as Joey as Joey said there, it is like it is a horror movie through and through, but it is also an Indian movie. It's recognizably within the categories of like my very limited knowledge of what Indian cinema looks like, and and I just I just found that absolutely fascinating. Um, but Joey, what about yourself? Your initial kind of takes or responses to it? Well, I read this quote that described it as a phantasmagorical visual stunner. And I just thought that was perfection. So I was like, yes, I agree with that. But I mean, as you say, it's just, it's a fascinating concoction of ideas. It definitely has like purely, purely horrifying moments. I mean, all the moments with the granny. And I mean, I watched, like I said, I watched a lot of stuff. I've got a pretty strong stomach, but there were moments where I was seriously nearly hiding behind my hands. Like it was hard to watch. What's interesting is that, like, and again, like, we, we, we're we probably, like, we're going to talk more specifically in this war zone about, like, specifics. But, like, in terms of horror, it, it's fascinating how it kind of commits, where it has, it's, like, it is cosmic horror. There's a bit of kind of Lovecraft going on here. I mean, Carpenter as a touchstone. But it's also not afraid to get into kind of creature feature territory, where it has, like, some really good makeup effects going on. It's got, like, a, you know, it's got a lot of CGI. In fact, like, again, we mentioned one of the issues with the, the movie's production was that the CGI was outsourced to a Swedish studio, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is one of the reasons why it took so long to develop. But, like, it uses practical sets. Um, it has been described as a very wet movie, even when the characters are indoors. Mm-hmm. And that, that like, refers to, like, some of the sets that are built. They look very physical and... <laughs> in a jeep at some point <laughs> like all the rain is coming into the jeep and the windows are open yeah but there's, like, there's also the moment where he hasn't fixed the roof but he's bought a gramophone yeah <laughs> look at my new gramophone it's like wait a minute priorities mister um do you but- imagine that like the the windows are all open in spite of the fact it's raining because it's also like really muggy. Oh, God. It's extremely <laughs> yeah. hot. Like, what are they supposed to do? And, and your your neighbors can't appreciate you having a gramophone if your windows are closed, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, then. So before we jump into the sports zone, before we talk about the movie in a bit more depth, three questions to kind of get the conversation started here. So to kick us off, uh, Joey... Do you think that Tumbad is one of the best 250 movies ever made? It's a good question. I don't know because I've seen 
See, it's tough because I've seen a lot of bad American horror lately, like The Quiet Place Part 2 and The Conjuring 3. Like, neither of those movies did anything for me. So compared to that, this is very special. But there are definitely elements of it that didn't work for me at all, where I was just sitting there going, what the hell is going on? I did enjoy, for example, all the the no smoking PSAs. Yeah, That was, you know, that was good. But at the same time, I feel like horror as a genre, it needs to expand. I mean, obviously, there's this push for more people of color, more queer people, more female directors behind the scenes. But I think stories like this, you know, it's important to watch them and kind of expand your horizons. But whether it's one of the best ever made, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> That's that's fair. That is that's an answer that I have given on this podcast many many times because I like <laughs> the hedge. But like, and again, it it's it's worth talking actually just because you mentioned the idea of kind of international horror and the idea of international cinema. It's worth mentioning and kind of discussing uh, Tumbad because Tumbad is an interesting film in terms of its production. Its budget was only, I believe, five crore, which is fifty million rupee, uh, which is the equivalent of half a million euros. So oh that, my god yeah half a million euros this cost five hundred thousand euros this would cover the catering like, budget on like the conjuring three yeah. which is insane it's it's mad actually yeah the, like that they like i i listen to podcasts sometimes and they have people who are like um you know making a, uh, their 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 own movies and they'll sometimes like i heard conan o'brien joking to like sean penn about how he was going to make a, uh, a a movie with him and like it's going to be like seventy thousand dollars and that was like a joke you know a punchline yep. <laughs> it's like this is how crap this movie is going to be it's just going to be seventy thousand dollars yeah it's so much money yeah, um, Hollywood movies, and you wonder like how how much of it is, <laughs> is, is like kind of on the screen or whatever, exactly. and how much of it is necessary? Because with this, it's um, definitely all on the screen. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Oh yeah, like I mean, one of the the production team have not been shy about saying like one of the big delays in getting the movie made was the fact that like rendering the special effects occasionally involved throwing a hat around. And going, can you throw a bit more money in there, please? Because we really need to render this. Um, but like, to, and to it's give all a, this money over six years. As well. Yeah, yeah, like that's it exactly. Like, um, I mean, yeah. So it's it's less than a hundred grand a year, actually, if you factor in in terms of production. And like, to give a point of comparison in terms of Bollywood standards, like The Bang Three, which is the movie we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that cost one billion rupee, so twenty times the budget of this, just in terms of like Bollywood production. Um. It was an like it's it's an interesting film in terms of its reception and its release. At the Indian box office, it earned uh, one hundred and seventy thousand rupees, so seventeen crore, which is about one point nine million euro, which is didn't set the box office alight at the time. It was enough that it was profitable, but it actually did something that is is very interesting. It managed to hold audiences' attention over an extended period of time as other movies were released. It managed to increase its grosses over time. Its second weekend was bigger. Um, It originally only screened in 573 screens, as 575 screens, which of India's over 2,500 screens. So it didn't open wide. It managed to build through word of mouth. And it also did very, very well uh, internationally. 
which is kind of what's really interesting. It became a breakout hit internationally. Um, it premiered internationally at the Venice Critics Week, becoming the first Indian film to open at the Venice Film Festival, uh, which is quite an accomplishment. Um, it didn't release in competition, but it screened for critics there. It also, I believe, screened at the Austin Fantastic Fest as well and kind of mm-hmm. brought the crew over. And I think perhaps as a result of maybe that international acceptance or in, in part of that, I when I was doing research for this, I found a lot more coverage of it after the fact. So like the one year anniversary of the release of Tumbad, the two year anniversary of the release mm. of Tumbad. And the fact that, like, as we mentioned, Tumbad is a movie from 2018 and it literally just entered the list in 2021. The fact that it took that long to grow. So I do mm. kind of like the again, it's this idea of Indian cinema going international and becoming like global cinema and and as joey said it's it's a nice kind of expanding of the horizons i think uh but andrew what about yourself do you think tombad is one of the best 250 movies ever made um i'm i'm gonna go i'm gonna say no um and i i agree with um with a lot of what joey said in in that it is better than i don't watch a lot of horror but it, it, it um like i, I think the odd time, kind of like back in the before times, Darren would say, "Hey, I have like um, oh, two tickets." I took you to like to... I took you to was it unfriended or friend request? Whichever one is the crap one of the two. Friend request, yeah, uh, friend yeah. I took you to... Yes, unfriended is the one that's actually good. The one that's actually really yeah. Friend, I took you to friend request. Sorry, Andrew, I apologize for that. I saw that one in the cinema as well. So. <laughs> 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 But that it was better. It was better than than that. Like I haven't seen kind of like a lot of the the, the you know I haven't seen Ish or Conjuring or kind of those re- kind of Bloomhouse movies. Aside from uh, I guess White Christmas, uh, I haven't haven't seen many um, horror movies. But this is for 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 me. It's kind of better because it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Then and and. Um, I was describing it to 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 my partner Petrina, and she was like, "You have you made up any of this?" <laughs> I was like, no, "No, this all literally happened." <laughs> yeah, uh, which which I do like again. It's something I really like in horror, where it kind mm. of it it swerves rather sharply in various directions. Where it looks like you, it looks like I, I. There were various points where I thought I had a read on it, so I was like, "Okay, this is a an atmospheric classic gothic horror," and it's like, "No, it's a creature feature." I'm like, "Oh, it's a slow story about like corruption and moral decay and rot, and like this like idea of a family dynasty with rot in the bottom, like an Edgar Allan Poe story." It's like, "No, it's also got monsters and a big." room full of spoiler stuff and it's like okay that it's that too as well um yeah i mean i mean like it, it would be hard it's hard to argue for this as part of the kind of the 250 horror canon no like, yeah yeah I mean, like like it's it's not you know um it's not like it's not going to compete with the shining or with the thing or um or alien um um any of that sort of stuff so yeah it's difficult to kind of um but what about yourself darren would 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 it would it uh do you think it should be on the top 250 movies of all time keeping in mind i've literally only seen this like in the past couple of days um and so I have absolutely no so frame like of reference two three times yeah twice really um <laughs> but um <laughs> but no uh, i like yeah. i i do not think so i um i i think like it is 
I love this. I actually really genuinely love this movie. I think it's really great. I'm really glad that I saw it. Um, not to jump too far ahead into the question of, well, am I going to recommend it? Spoiler listeners, there's a curveball coming. Uh, but I do think that it is like, it is a very uneven movie. It veers dramatically. I think it has some pacing issues in the second yeah. act um, yeah. in particular. That said, um, I do... Like, I think if I was constructing an argument for it being on the 250, the most obvious one is, A, there's not a lot of horror on there. Like, Andrew literally just named the three horrors that are on the 250. You can probably stretch to Aliens if you want to. Exorcist was on and dropped out. Jaws, if you count that as a horror, has dropped out. Uh, Donnie Darko, if you count that as a horror, has dropped out. It is literally just like the shiny. We covered The Exorcist 2 as well. And and the... There's a lot more on horror, the bottom. I think, on the bottom 100. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, horror is the, the low-class genre, so that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And... Kind of the bastard child. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, but when I when this came in, part of me was like, will I save this and will we just do this at Halloween with kind of Joey and Bernice because there are so few horror movies. I think when we do Alien this year, we are officially out of Halloween movies on the top list. But oh. as Andrew said, it's okay. We can just double up on the bottom list going forward. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think there's an argument. Baby geniuses too. Yeah, that the true <laughs> horror movie. Um, you, you, you. you you cut into my joke at the end. I was going to recommend a true horror movie this this summer, which is Space Jam: A New Legacy. Oh um, God! Who? Oh, you've that? seen it. Who wants that movie? Um, IP <laughs> Warner Brothers IP content managers like, want that seriously? movie. Yeah, brand oh. synergy demands that movie. And did did the NBA kind of get on board with it, like they did with the original Space Jam? Yeah. I mean, like and, and they did. Yeah, and and like it's not just the Looney Tunes. It's also like the Iron Giant. It's also the Droogs from A Clockwork Orange, which is one of the more bizarre choices in there. Um, is it a re- is it a reboot of the original Space Jam? Or is it a... Oh, it's, it's a, a continua- sequel. Yeah, it's a continuation. It's a sequel. Um, there's more story, um, Andrew. There's more story. <laughs> yeah. We have to mine. Do they, we have to mine do, they steal, do they steal the souls of like Steph Curry <laughs> and Alan Iverson and... People like that. Uh, no, it's it's not quite a straight retread of it. The monsters are not back this time. It's Don Cheadle. The monsters. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, this 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 time it's robot Don Cheadle um, that we have to deal with. But again, that is oh, a war machine. <laughs> it springs to life, and he opened up his eagle eye. He focused it on the sky and said, "Today's the day." The IP. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> back to talking about Tumpad and why Tumpad. I think if you if I was making an argument for being on the two fifty. 250 needs more horror in particular like joey said like the and, and andrew said this is a very different kind of horror than the horror movies that we see on the 250 so it would be good to see a bit more variety there in terms of seeing something that is as like gleefully and unapologetically schlocky i think it has a lot like it, it's a thematically rich film i think it it has things to say i don't think it's like i'm not it, i don't think it's like a friday the 13th sequel or anything like that but it is unapologetically basking in like the joy of we have a professional makeup artist we're making a horror movie we're gonna do it properly and yeah and like and again like indian cinema on there as well i think so if i was at a push to make an argument that would be it but i don't think so i don't think it's it's good enough on its own merits uh despite my own affection for it and then second question joey of all the horror movies you have seen is tumbad one of your personal favorite 250 movies i mean i think i like it as much as you like it it's just really i guess it's just because it's different it came around at the right time for me where i'd seen kind of a few dodgy ones in a row all american 
And then this came along alongside the Tunisian one that I um, mentioned before. And I just thought, wow, yeah, not a lot of it works, but it's still, it's so impressive just because it's so different and it is very thematically rich. So yeah, if I had to make a list of 250, it probably would be on there, to be honest. Um, Andrew, what about yourself? Um, yeah, like like I might have it might have an argument for being on, but but no, that I I think I I, I agree with you, Darren. Did in 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 that like I found the pacing myself. I I'd written it down that it was kind of strange. Yeah, strange. It it, it it also yeah. it felt a little bit too long. Like I don't know where exactly I would have shaved time off it, but I feel like they definitely could have lost about twenty minutes, and it would have felt a bit more. Yeah. it's very it's very odd as well because like the the, a lot of the um kind of indian uh, movies that we've seen have been extremely oh yeah it could be in like three or four hours long i guess we we haven't done gangs of wasipuria yeah and we're gonna do that over two weeks we were actually like andrew was like on the one hand it means we do the podcast an extra week on the other hand it means that i don't have to watch a seven hour movie um and i was like they're, they're both good points um really but yeah, the original cut of this was like three hours and 20 minutes long. And it's really odd that it's like, this is an hour and 40 minutes. And it feels like to, to, to use a metaphor relevant to the film we're going to discuss, doughy in places. Uh, it feels uh-huh. very doughy in places. Um, and like, it's odd because there are parts of it that feel like almost impressionistic, where you can tell that they like, they cut a lot out and it just becomes almost kind of mood and ambience and it's like reaction shots and like static wild wide shots. And it's just like, you know, storytelling like silently and visually. And that's all very impressive. But it's also, there's points where it gets weirdly bogged down in like the specifics of yeah. like the, the mechanics and the economics of the characters and what they're doing and precisely how many rupees they have at each given like state point in the story. So yeah, it, it, it's very odd how it kind of, it, it feels compressed in places and also expanded in others. It's, it's very strange in terms of pacing. I find, um, though it is notable, like it is, it is essentially three movies in one. The, the film is structured as three chapters and it is based on, I believe three separate short, uh, short stories written by, uh, Darif. And we'll probably talk about those when we get into the spore zone. That's which... not, that's not surprising. That's based on three different stories. Yeah. Cause it really does. Cause it feels like it starts over, which is probably, I suppose, one of the problems with it. Cause it's like, Oh, it's, it's, it's really good, really atmospheric story. And it's like, Oh, stop. Cut to black. We jump forward. Yeah. We jump forward in time over a decade. It's almost an anthology without being yeah. an anthology. And they, and it's funny cause this, you know, the central kind of through line could have threaded all those stories together if they wanted to, but instead they were just like, no, it's one big story. Yeah. <laughs> Follow along. <laughs> yeah. Like again, it, it is, it's, it's fast. And because it does have those clear chapter breaks. Cause it's like, it's a, Oh yeah. And now we're, we're 13 years in the future. And now we're 14 years in the future. And it's like, Oh, okay. But it's and like, no, why? what does this really add? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I, I kind of, I, like, conceptually, I I think it makes sense. Like, conceptually, I understand the idea of it being, like, a generational story. It being, like, it having a sense of, like, scale and breadth in theory and on paper. But again, it's that weird thing where it gets doughy, so it gets, like, so specifically into the weeds on parts of it. Where you're like, if you want to take a step back and a big picture look, then don't don't zoom in so intensely on, like, one part of it for an extended period and then step back and act like I'm not going to get a little bit disoriented perhaps but maybe maybe that's me being a little bit harsh on it I think but it, it was it was kind of the, well it's the, it's the idea of kind of never having 
enough is i th- I, th- I think doubt would well I, I i guess sorry not not jumping ahead too much but in in terms of like the setting it over kind of um, you know 29 years it 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 kind of marks that sort of like um, accumulation and the the the, the hoarding I guess. And like the moral um, decay and corruption, I would argue as well. Like again, it, yeah. like we'll, we'll come back to like references and kind of situating it. And like part of me is worried that it's like Darren, the Irish film critic who has grown up on American and English horror is like, this reminds me a lot of the work of Edgar Allan Poe. But it, uh-huh. it, it, but it does have that kind of sense of like familial decay and rot that I associate with things like the fall of the House of Usher, where it's like this idea of like an institute, the family is rotten, the house is rotten. It's all built on a foundation that is like decaying and corrupt and like everything else in this movie, like unpleasantly moist and throbbing um, and kind of disgusting and ready to swallow everything. Um, So I I kind of like, uh, that's, that's what I get in terms of like the sense of scale and scope. But I do think that, yeah, when it, when it, it does slow down a little bit too much in places, which is odd for a movie that is only an hour and 40 minutes long and which has surprisingly little dialogue for, for most of that. Uh, in terms of myself, I don't know if it would be on my, my own personal list on my own favorite 250 movies, if only because I, I have seen a lot of movies and I like a lot of movies. Um, I do really, really like this. I suspect at the end of this year, I'll be recommending it to people because I, I had a really, really good time with it. And like not to, to prefigure what we're going to talk about when we get into the spoiler zone, but like it is just a beautifully crafted film. Um, the cinematography is gorgeous. Yes, I was literally just about to, to single out. It's it's Pankaj Kumar, um, who I think won a Filmfare Award, which is an Indian Oscar. It won three uh, Filmfare Awards in 2019, um, all in technical categories. It did get a nomination for Best Picture, but it didn't win. Um, it got uh, wins for uh, editing, uh, which I would argue were deserved. Um, the editor, um, and we'll come back to that, but it was, oh, it was uh, Sanyutka Kaza, um, who, as we discussed, was like, yeah, this is not usable for yeah. for refusing to do yeah. her job. <laughs> the award for editing goes to for, yeah. for realizing that her job is unworkable unless she's given proper material. I think it's probably the way to frame that. Yeah. <laughs> God, I it was a man. That is terrible. Yeah, um, lies misogyny over here. Yeah, um, and then like Pankaj Kumar won for cinematography, and I think the sound design won as well, which is very good. But Kumar's cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. Um, like again, we we talk about like the use of its use of locations. Like they talk about how much scouting they did for the movie. They like again kind of shot and again this is that very nonsensey Kubrickian stuff but like the color schemes of like blue and gray and then like the contrast of red and gold but things like the use of natural light because they shot using digital so they shot using red cameras so there are these beautiful shots of like characters in caves or in corridors carrying lanterns and just kind of lit there is one shot in particular of a character like peering into a hole and the camera kind of pulling back and it is one of the most gorgeous in images I have ever seen on film, which is not something I say lightly. Like, this is a gorgeous, gorgeous film. Um, and I guess then that's a nice segue into the third question. So if listeners have not already seen Timbad, Joey, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? I would say yes. I mean, especially horror fans. I think if you watch a lot of horror movies, you should definitely check this one out just as something different, as something unique. And as you say, it's a gorgeous looking film as well. 
So even if that's all you appreciate about it, but I'm sure horror fans will appreciate the practical effects definitely are really, really impressive as well and gross, especially the grandmother. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I would definitely recommend it. I don't know if it's a little bit too intense for non-horror fans. Um, As I said, there were parts of it where I thought they were a bit, ooh. Um, But yeah, I would suggest people check it out definitely, especially because it's gaining kind of traction over the years. So it'd be nice to keep that going. Uh, actually, Andrew, like before I asked the question about what you recommend, although I guess this is a nice segue into it, I was wondering like your response to it as like we talk on this podcast a lot about your fondness for 80s, uh, 80s movies and kind of like Rob Botton effects, obligatory Robocop reference. I got there first this week. But like we've talked about how like one of the things, one of the issues that we, we both have with kind of like modern American films is the, like how heavily they lean on CGI. Like mm. did the like and this does have CGI like let's not, it has CGI that is at some points perhaps questionable but understandable with the budget they were operating on but they do use a lot of practical effects. I was wondering like did was that something you responded to in it, Andrew? Like what did you make of that? It was absolutely it was and it 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 kind of it uh, I I did think of Rob Button when I, <laughs> when, I, when I was looking at kind of like um uh, the uh, uh, grandmother. And and the um, uh, ragav kind of um, uh, sequence, uh, yeah, creature creature effects. Um, I thought actually ragavs were better. Um, yeah, it it reminded me a little bit as well that scene of um, sorry, I know we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves, but of 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 alien resurrection, <laughs> which a lot of people don't like, and I know you don't like. Well, I know you don't like Amelie. So like it's kind of you know similar to Amelie, directed by the same person, uh. Um, <laughs> uh, same sort of vibe. Yeah, Amelie um, and Alien Resurrection—they're really just two sides of the same coin. They're. Uh... It's so strange that the <laughs> like it's kind of like is the guy who did Amelie available? Yeah. <laughs> I think like he'd add a lot to this. Um. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it reminded me a little bit of that. Where you 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 have um, character actor? He's in everything. He's in Ron Perlman. Dune. Oh, and no, 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 and um, he's in Dune. He's in Star Trek. He's like uh, he's also in which Dune I know is he? You're in? Gonna Patrick name. Stewart. No, no. The, well, you the, said the, Dune <laughs> in Star Trek. Like, you, which Dune? Are we talking old Dune, new Dune? Old Dune. Okay. All right, he's, Max von he's, Sydow. He's he's no no he's he's also in uh, Max von Sydow. Was was he in Star Trek? Maybe he was. Anyway, sorry. Um, Who do you mean? He's, <laughs> he's in um, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Christopher Lloyd. He's in Star Trek. He's in. Oh, he's never mind. In... I'll look. I'll look Brad it up. Brad Dorf. Brad Dorf. Brad Dorf. Brad Dorf. He's also exactly. he's also in Alien Resurrection, which is the key that you yeah. needed to give me. Just say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. I was talking about Alien Resurrection. I, I know, but you didn't thread it. It's like he's the guy from Alien Resurrection and the following. I thought it was just a tangent. I thought you were building to something. Oh no, no! I was referring to to Brad Dorf. Oh my and god! The, the kind of Brad Dorf moment in this. I've never heard movie. someone talk about Brad Dorf and not immediately say Chucky. Like, <laughs> oh yes, some random roles he did here. He also appeared in two episodes of the 700 episodes of Star Trek, to be fair. Yeah. I could have said Iggy Pop. <laughs> you could, yeah. Could have literally... Celebrated character actor Iggy Pop. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. Well, 
so what why what were we talking about Brad Dorf? Oh, we're talking yes, he does have a bit of a Brad Dorf moment, yes, uh, in in this movie. Um that was a very long walk yeah. to that point, but we got there in the end. Very long walk for very little drink. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologize. And, and for myself, I think I played my, my I think I played my hand earlier in the episode, but yes, I would absolutely recommend it. I think it's well worth seeking out, particularly if you are a fan of horror. Uh yeah, in terms of like intensity for non horror fans, it's it's pretty heavy. Um and it's 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 pretty heavy like in terms of being kind of like graphic and intense in a way that i associate like 80s horror cinema when being but it's also like unpleasant um in a way that like i associate more modern prestige horror with being as well where it's like yeah this is just a really icky movie populated by characters who are just unpleasant to one another and the movie's making points about how broken the world is in ways that make my skin crawl even when there aren't like monsters or ghouls or terrible things happening on screen so it is it is a very icky movie uh, in virtually every way that a horror movie should or can be icky. But yeah, I would, would hardly recommend. I think it's well worth seeking out if you haven't seen it. It is only 100 minutes long, so it is relatively short if you're kind of like interested in trying an Indian film. It's also, I would argue, reflective of Indian cinema as well. So you get a kind of a good sense. And And again, I am a much less seasoned horror movie watcher than Joey, but it is unlike anything i had ever seen before in terms of i recognize the bits of it i recognize parts of it but its constituent elements were put together in a way that i i don't think i had ever fully seen in that again i don't think i've seen this kind of horror movie have slow motion i don't think i've seen this kind of horror movie have three musical interludes but i also don't think i've seen a a kind of a bollywood movie be so candid about things like sexuality and so like grotesque and unpleasant so i think it mashed them together in ways that are, are really interesting and well worth seeking out all right with that in mind then we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone Spoiler zone! So, Joey, what is Tumbad about for you? What what a question. (laughs) What a question. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it starts off with that big giant baby. And I wrote, let the giant baby sleep. (laughs) um, Because I knew something very bad was going to happen when that baby was woken up. Um, It like, as you say, there's so much going on. There's all the body horror elements. Um, there are definitely there are definitely kind of allusions to motherhood and what motherhood means and motherhood kind of being forced on women. Um, there's all the stuff about greed. Um, I mean, it start it's weird because it starts off as kind of a, a straighter horror movie than it ends up being. Yeah. It does get crazier as it goes on, which you don't see very often. Usually, they kind of front load it. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what it's about. I don't know. <laughs> what like I don't know what that's about. <laughs> you mentioned the greed. It, it starts with the um with the Mahatma Gandhi quote. Oh yes, that was another uh, choice, that... wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like their Facebook um post or whatever. They, but it, there that there is that there is enough for everyone's need, but not enough for everyone's greed. Mahatma Gandhi brainyquote.com. <laughs> <laughs> to be fu- to be fair though that kind of sums it up yeah. if oh, you want to think about yeah. the greater context if you want to take on a very very base level that is what it's about and as darren said it's about kind of this one guy's insatiable greed really um, and how um, that's yeah. passed down 
it's insatiable, but it's also like kind of um, pointless. Like the, the, <laughs> the he does the the, the son late, 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 later on Pandarang. Yeah, says, "Oh, he doesn't like anything." And his mother says, "What's the point?" Well, he yeah. doesn't invest in anything either, which I found very strange. No. Like he he doesn't build it up and then invest in something. Like even when he buys the gramophone, but he doesn't fix the roof. There are all these choices, and he's so stressed because he has to keep getting more and more and more and more. But he doesn't do anything particularly interesting with it, you know. Like I thought at the end he was going to be in this like massive mansion or something, but he's still kind of in, you know, reasonably upper class house and. It's it is kind of what's the point? He has loads of money that he doesn't want to spend as well. Is that what it is? Is he's he just hoarding? kind of hoarding? What well, it's because he he has to go and risk his life every time he wants three coins, which which is something that I absolutely love in the middle section of the film. A whole chest full of coins. <laughs> yeah, but that reveal that reveal was shocking when it was yeah. oh my god, there's this huge chest of coins. It was like, well, then why does he feel the need to keep going back every week? He doesn't have enough. He needs more. He, he, if if he were to spend the ones he has, then he'd have less. You, you can never have enough. But like that—that's the thing I actually really like about. Like, and again, we talk about it being a grubby horror movie in a way that, like, a lot of like prestige horror is, like, Midsummer and kind of Hereditary are, where like things are icky even when they're not like literally squidgy. It's just how unpleasant everything is. Where it's like he takes absolutely no joy in in what he like the sequence like at the end of the movie where he, like towards the end of the movie where he is so wealthy he is finally like rich uh, and like you have people coming to him because he's rich and powerful he's going to brothels but he's not taking any joy in any of it like he looks like he's just lounging round falling over and like you have the moment where like the the politicians from the new independent india are like you should uh, you should have a nicer mansion than this you know you're you're rich you're loaded and it's like no i'm just I, I like having money. It's because I've been taught that money is the thing that marks me as, you know, as status. It's something that I have a desire and a hunger for and an appetite for, but no idea what to do with it. And like one of the things that I, I really like about the movie is the way in which it. And again, it's it's not a subtle movie. It opens with a Mahatma Gandhi quote, like which is like, this is what the movie is going to be about. But I, I love that it like. It hammers the way in which, like, that idea of greed for its own sake kind of just hammers down on absolutely everything else. Where he has this really, really messed up relationship with his son. Where his son, like, and again, I kind of love the sequence where his son is training. Where he's like, he's been training his son to go and get the coins. But without explaining what it is, why you need to do this, what the whole point of this exercise is. It's just... uh, He's completely unprepared. When they get down there, he's like, what is this? (laughs) We're going to die. (laughs) A red loincloth pommel horse. (laughs) Like a weirdly specific jungle gym he's built for this kid. But like, but that's the thing is that like, it's this idea of kind of repetition without meaning and it's the idea that it, like it gets passed down so like his well it's as much use as um hashtar himself gets out of yeah like, all the money the yeah you know because he, he, he damns himself for like all eternity but the for mother, no particular reason his mother tries to kind of beat that out of him though when they're initially sort of fleeing the village she tries to oh, yeah. to tell him, no, don't get sucked into this. You're greedy. 
you need to be good. And he just, I don't know, it's like he spends the next, what is it, 13 years just completely ignoring her. Yeah, and he criticizes his son for being like her. It's like, you 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 be happy with this chest. You're just like you're just like my mother who was who was happy with like one gold coin. Uh, no ambition. Piece of gold. Yeah, no amb- but no ambition. They, it's funny they they the um the like women in this um movie kind of like they, they, they don't um, share this like there, there's the two twins like who are the, the his his daughters it's interesting actually that that none of the female characters are named yeah i noticed that too especially because it yeah. starts off being like this goddess and she's so powerful and ooh the woo even the goddess isn't named actually which is interesting yeah as well. like um no, grandmother is just grandmother like everybody is in relation to like what relationship they have to the male characters but yeah. the but the creepy baby gets a name yeah that um, you have to um, keep yelling <laughs> well i mean like to be fair like it is possible to figure out who the goddess um is because she's the goddess of prosperity she has to be lakshima i think in terms of hindu uh cosmology like to give the movie the benefit of the doubt here i I think it is maybe trying to say something because you have the sequence where like the mother tells him not to go back. So him him going back is the transgression that basically like sets the rest of the horror movie in in, in like motion in that like the standard horror movie logic is your main character has to be told not to do something and they have to choose to do it anyway against all common advice and that damns them. And that, so him ignoring his mother is part of that. But you see it passed down as well where you have this situation where and again giving the movie the benefit of the doubt here i i think it is saying something with this where it's like the idea of like this greed and this capitalism and this interest in money plays into all this other stuff so you have like the indian like nationalist movement playing out in the background so you have it jumping between you know 1918 which is you know the year after the russian revolution you have it like in 1933 and you have the characters talking about like the great depression that is happening in america and you have it then in 1947 which is independent india and you have like the government the government coming and taking away the mansion which is like yeah you know this is just it is all about capitalism in the end. It doesn't matter how much wealth yeah. you everybody, including the state, is ultimately going to try to get the gold here. But you have the idea like... Well, it's the, go- the government taking a stake in, yeah. in that greed. But you have like with the female characters, you have this kind of thing where the money is used by the men to exert control over them. It becomes a mechanism of, you know, sexism and misogyny and oppression. So you have like his father-in-law buying the widow for 800 mm-hmm. rupees and then kind of selling her on as a mistress to, to Vinyak um, in order to like get rid of his debt. You have like the mother talking to their son and saying, your your father has never told me like what oh, goes yeah. on in Tumbad. So what you're going to do is you are going to like, you're going to go, you're going to come back and you will tell me and I will know and we will know as a family. And the son goes and he comes back and she slaps him. And he responds by taking out the gold coin. And then you have him later on, the same son going to the mistress and saying, look, I have the gold coin. I mm-hmm. will marry you. And therefore, like, again, perpetuating this idea of I hold power because I hold money in this relationship as well. And I think, you know, the movie, like, it really hammers the greed bad point. 
But I do think that, like, it is maybe saying something about how that greed kind of filters down into other things like the way in which women are treated or the way in which it serves as, you know, a plank to justify and enable that sort of systemic oppression. But maybe I'm being maybe I'm being kind of too too generous there. But I do think that like, the movie puts enough emphasis on it that it, it feels uh, fair. And again, the fact that, as as mentioned, like the entire premise of the movie is that like Hather steals his mother's gold. The gold originally belongs to the goddess of prosperity, but he takes it and it becomes his. And that then becomes like a wellspring of power for all these men, perhaps. Is that I don't know. I don't know. Is Am I being too generous? Am I reading too much into it? Is that? No, I think I can. I can see that. Definitely. And I think as well, there's no often you'll see in movies like this that a woman will show up and sort of like try to steer the man the right way. And they don't try to do that at all. They just present it as greed is bad. He's going down a bad path. He's dragging everyone with him and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Yeah. I mean, like even his wife, his wife having to live with his mistress, which is like, which is like, and and the way in which the film makes a point of like showing. So she gets really aggressive towards the mistress and she kicks the mistress out of the house. And there's this big song and dance about like, oh, you finally, finally gone too far. And then like within a scene, she's back dealing with the fact that, oh, no, he's still with the mistress and she's still in the room and she's still smoking, which is injurious for health. Um, And there's no and there's no discussion as well. You never, we never see them interact on an equal level. I don't think we even see her really getting angry with him. Yeah. You know, we know she's unhappy. We know she's unhappy because we can see her and we know his mother's unhappy as well. And obviously the grandmother too, but there's just no discussion. It's just, that's the way things are. And like, and again, like it's worth noting that like Vignac's mother is again, like introduced in, and again, another skin crawling scene that is like arguably as disturbing as anything else that follows, but as a mistress of the man of the house in Tumbad, um, and the way in which he, oh, yeah. he's used. It was, it was horrible. And I was thinking, kind of, this is an Indian movie. Yeah. There's something sexual happening. I was here. so confused because they were just chatting away like nothing was going on. Yeah, no, I was like, is she massaging his leg or something? And it's like, oh no. Yeah, I was thinking like she can't be giving him a hand job because like, this is a Bollywood um, film. Yeah, this is a Bollywood film. Um, yeah, and she's saying like, when will you be finished? Or when will? <laughs> when am I? When am I done? She's like, hurry up! I have to go. It was horrible. Never, never helps. But, but again she just accepts her fate that's just yeah. her role and even her sons are like why do you put up with this and you know what i mean can't we just leave and why can't we get rid of this old hag and she just says no no this is what you do this is my lot in life and the fact that like the, the even even like again even the mother of like their of their of vignac's father who is like you know whatever the what do you call a man who has a mistress apart from a very questionable individual but the 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 man of the mansion even his mother is kept like chained up in bed like yeah no this is this is a movie that is like like as much as it's about greed it's also about yeah yeah women don't really get a good say or a fair shake in this sort of situation which i think is very pointed set in fire that's kind (laughs) of like um nice for her (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I I love it's like a movie where like the main character sets his ground in the fire. <laughs> yeah. and it's possibly the most heroic thing that he does over the course of the yeah, film yeah it's true <laughs> puts her out of her misery that chase sequence where she's coming after him was so brilliantly done and so frightening I really thought oh she's gonna eat this kid when she says oh I want to taste your flesh I seriously it's horrifying and they 
when we talk about pacing, that is done so, so well. Every second of it, right into the last moment, you're thinking, oh my God, this kid is done for. Well, I mean, like that that's a specific example that like Kaza, like the editor describes as a moment where she, like, because they were going out and they were doing reshoots and they were still shooting the thing, like as they were editing it, she was able to say, look, the way that I want to edit this scene, I would love if the kid was carrying a torch and I could cut to the torch here. Um, or I would love if like you got a close up of the chain and I could like use that as an insert just to cut to, which again is a very interesting way of kind of like film filmmaking. I mean, she says like structuring the narrative is as much a job for the editor as it is a writer. It's, it's a spectacularly kind of ended sequence. And like, as somebody who like, I love schlocky movies. Like I'm a big Wes Craven, John Carpenter fan. The, the, the moment where like the moment where she clips the the grandmother's nails oh yeah that's like really unpleasant like really viscerally yeah but the then you see the grandmother's mouth and you see it with like she has the nails through her face and like i didn't know what that was for originally like it's one of those great creature designs where she's just got nails through her face and i'm like what what happened there are they like is it acupuncture excuse me yeah. but that's bad enough yeah bad enough yeah. that she has them in there and then when she starts to pull them out yeah and you realize why like when she pulls them out you realize why those nails why are in there yeah oh. which is like it's such a really great like so to stop her eating people. yeah to stop her eating people <laughs> That's why she. Yeah, that's why she only gets her soft food. Um, it's like, do we have a muzzle? No, we we'll just put these skewers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we mentioned actually like this being based on um, three stories that it is basically an anthology because it has three chapters within for each of the three acts, and we should kind of like it is worth noting that like these are based on stories written by uh, Narayan uh, Dariop, and in fact, like his the the title comes from one of his books, which is Tombad. And the first story that's told uh, is Aisha, I believe, is the the original story. And that is apparently, and again, this is where it gets really interesting, because like I mentioned, this feeling like a very gothic horror that I recognize as like Lovecraft or Poe. But Dariop has talked about being influenced by Stephen King. And in fact, the opening story there, uh, which is Aisha, is apparently inspired in part by Stephen King's grandma, which has, I believe, the exact same expression, which is go to sleep, pastor will find you as a way of putting somebody with a curse underneath. And like, and again, this is where it gets interesting in terms of situating this in terms of, of like horror. Hastar is is the name of the demon. That is not something from Hindu mythology. And like the script explains that by saying, oh, he was completely forgotten. Erased from history. It's funny. In in the kind of um, Amazon has that kind of x-ray thing where it will give like IMDB trivia. And it says like, there is no record of this in Hindu mythology, which is consistent with the film. <laughs> <laughs> we learned that in the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But... So it's like, that doesn't discredit what's described here. <laughs> it is, Could totally Yeah, somebody, yeah. like, down the bottom, this is not a goof in bold. Um, not a plot <laughs> hole. Um, but, like, what's interesting is, like, Hastur, uh, if you trace the name back, Hastur actually has, like, a, a whole history in weird, like, British and American horror. Um, it was created by, first traced back to, I think, Ambrose Bierce, who used it in his 1893 short story, Height of the Shepherd. Um, it was then Hastur was copied over by uh, Robert W. Chambers. And again, this is, sorry, very boring horror nerd stuff here, but this is the stuff that Darren loves. Like, 
Robert W. Chambers, while this was being shot, so like in the period between 2012 and 2015, was having his own resurgence when True Detective would use The King in Yellow, the kind of like the book and the stage play that he, well, the book about the stage play that drives people mad. But The King in Yellow is Hastur. So the villain or the Lovecraftian horror at the heart of the first season of True Detective is the same monster from this, even though neither production could have known about each other at the time. And he has also been folded into one of H.P. Lovecraft's kind of old ones as well, which is one of the things that I like about it is that, like, this feels like a very global horror story. It feels very universal in a way in that, like, you don't necessarily need to know anything about Indian history or Indian culture to get that this is, like how a horror movie works, which I, I really like. It has a kind of universality to it, which I think is kind of fascinating. Um, and I, and I like manages to balance that with a specificity as well. But it, it's, it's like a wonderful kind of yin and yang thing going on. Uh, but yeah, so the three stories that is based on um, by Darip. So the, the first one is Aja, which is the, the grandmother story, the creepy old woman. The second one is Bali, which is the story about like the gold coins. Um, and the third story is apparently the third chapter is entirely original to the film, but it's it's kind of like a sequel to Bali. So yeah, so that that's why it feels like it's three very different movies, because it's based on three separate stories, which is interesting. Anyway, so grandma, the grandma sequence and stuff like that. Well, like, I really loved how like well told that was visually like uh, the opening segment of the film doesn't have too much dialogue in it it has these wonderful kind of shots like the shots of like the 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 mother walking into the mansion with the camera following her the kids running up and down the hills in this kind of like they're kind of gray and washed out it it's just really atmospheric um it's really really kind of like beautifully put together but is there like anything else you want to talk about with regards to that opening section with regards to grandma uh, and with regards to rice, she doesn't eat that kid. So I guess does that count as food waste, Andrew? <laughs> yeah. Well, they 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 spill the flour, <laughs> and um, there there's there's also some throwing away of little bread dolls um, <laughs> as well. Um, that counts as 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 food waste. Well, Haster eats. Oh, oh yeah, I suppose they do throw away. The, like not all of them get eaten by Haster in the end. Um, so I suppose they no. <laughs> Who who like you weren't expecting to see so many hasters? Where they got all those crowns from? <laughs> like. Yeah, well, and again, like we're we're jumping ahead there, but uh, like I really like the sheer like W two effery of that. Not only because like it provides weird slow motion action scenes, which I was not expecting. Like there are moments where the hasters are knocking each other off walls and they're falling in slow motion and evaporating like they're in the Avengers, which is a... I thought they were all going to kill each other over like, <laughs> One. some bread. Yeah, that... Like that, it would be the whole thing is that like the 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 system is also like trying to destroy itself. <laughs> oh, very deep. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, again, my kind of like, yeah, my, my wanky looking far too deep into this kind of like logic is like, I like the idea that like, I like, I love the idea of, again, how terrible the father is, how how little he actually kind of thinks and cares about what he's doing, how little Vignac is kind of invested in what he's doing, where he's going down and he's grabbing two or three gold coins at a time. He's then driving home. He's spending it. He's having to go back. He's grabbing three more. He's saving. He's going back. He has to keep doing it. And his son his son coming up with the idea of, well, what if you have multiple doughs? And it's like, 
damn, that is a clever idea. If only I had thought of that idea 14 years ago, I could have possibly... But it's a terrible Oh, idea. no, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but and, and the, it reveals as well that the money is coming from the hashtag's loincloth and not from his little red <laughs> yeah. butt, which is Crapping gold where coins. I thought it was coming from. When he suggests stealing the little pouch... Are we to believe that the little pouch is going to just produce endless coins or is he only going to get what's in the little pouch? Because if he's only going to get what's in the little pouch, what's the point? He could They should just keep doing what they're doing. You know? Like, is it a case of it's just going to keep producing coins? Is it a magic pouch? It has a very Super Mario Brothers sensibility to it, where it's like you keep bouncing on him and expecting it to get coins. It has, it has infinite coins and it, it conceals, like... Um... It 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 cover it it covers up monsters' dignity <laughs> as well. Kind of, well. Like what what I did actually really like about that though is like the idea that like the son first of all like the idea that like Vignac has never had any initiative like he's so uncreative and mundane that he never thought about well wait what if what if I did this multiple times and I brought back more coins this time. And I love that, like, when his son dares to suggest, like, scaling upwards, that, like, the curse backfires in such a way that the entire point of greed, and it's the point that Andrew made earlier on, is that you can never have enough. Like, the entire logic by which Haster operates is that he always has to be hungry and always has to want more. So, like, even if you bring down all of these, like, dough, like, flour, kind of, like, bready things, there will always be too many hasters to be satiated by them. So I kind of love that it's, like, a logical extension of the movie's kind of horror premise, where it's like, I brought down 20 dough people, dough dolls, and it's like, Grant, you get 20 hasters. That's the system. I didn't make the rules. That's just how it works. I kind of I like that escalation because it, as Joey said, like you know, the first section of the movie is odd, but I love that it just keeps getting odder as it goes. It doesn't like introduce a premise and then kind of like stay at that level. There's always a sense watching this that there's like, but what if more? They're in a but, like, fleshy womb. Yeah, oh. they're they're in a womb. That's what I was gonna say. And there's fluids like. The stick the people on it, yeah. Your man is disgusting. The womb looks amazing and he looks amazing as well. He looks horrifying. And that's just a man painted red. <laughs> With a little crown. I believe some of it was. Yeah, I believe some of it was. I think like there was some CGI. Like they initially tried to just do a man painted red and couldn't make it work. They needed to do some CGI for it. But yeah, the womb is a practical it looks, thing. But it looks amazing. like it too. It reminded me of, I don't know if you guys have seen the Borderlands but which is it's a really really great british fan footage movie but there's a i won't spoil it but there's a moment in that where it's kind of that kind of and and it's it's practical as well and it's just it's so tactile that it's it's horrifying when they first go down to that place you think no oh my god we have to leave here immediately yeah no because it has a kind of like a cronenbergian kind of vibe to it where it's like this should be this should be hard and dry and earth-like but it's instead like moist and soft and going to like consume you like and what i really like about it is like the structure of it the way in which like it's structured so that like at the start of the second story vignac goes back to tombad 
he like meets his granny who has turned into a tree. And I love that, like her beating heart, the fact that you can see her beating heart. It's hanging and still beating. Yeah. But like, you're like, it's a brilliant creation. My God. Oh, it is. And like that wonderful overhead shot of him as well as the camera kind of pans. And you're like, okay, this, this is as weird as this movie's going to get. This is the, this is the only trick the movie has left. Everything after this is, you know, I, I'm on board. Nothing this movie do does could surprise me. And then he goes off and he finds and he digs down and he finds a chest and you're like, oh, cool. The money's in the chest. That's clearly what's going on here. The money is in the chest. And he comes back. No, because the the chest has like the the big kind of illustration of like the the goddess and with the with the vagina. Is, well. is that is that is that so? As soon as you saw the chest, you're like, oh yeah, he's going inside a womb. Because like, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Like, I went over my head completely. Yeah, no. The movie opens with dialogue saying, you know, and you have to face the monster in the womb, and I did not see that coming. I was like, no, I was like, no, like this, this is just a. No, I didn't really see it. Yeah. But like, it's more after the yeah, fact. A big wound. The second time I saw the 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 um, was it was it was a very kind of um, uh, forward kind of uh, uh, depiction of a vagina. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's what that is. Yeah, that's what that is. Um, but like, I I like that the movie kind of doesn't show you, and it kind of holds back on it, and it's like it doesn't reveal exactly what's going on. And, you know, he comes back and he's got like a little blood on his leg and stuff. And you're like, oh, he must have like fallen while he was like, it must be that the coins are in a hole that's difficult to reach. That must be the problem here. That must be why he's, he doesn't do it all the time. And what happened to his leg? Yeah. That he didn't turn in because if he was bitten, he would have been cursed, right? He would have changed. I think if you even touched by him, right? So it is interesting. I do wonder what happened to his leg, but I, it, that does kind of communicate that there's a little bit of risk involved. But at the same time, you're getting that while you're getting like all of the drama uh, with like his grandfather, sorry, with his with his father-in-law, with Ragav. And it's like, oh, and you've got all the stuff happening with the mistress. And you're like, you know what? However he gets the money, eh, it's probably, you know, it's, it's, it's probably like it's a hole he goes into. And then when Ragav follows him, like the first time I watched it, it was a real, okay. This is happening. This is definitely something that is happening, which I I really appreciated for like an hour and 10 minutes into a horror that had already shown me a woman who had turned into a tree with a beating heart hanging from her. Um, And like a woman who like had to hold her jaw together with like pins and nails. I love that like an hour and 10 minutes in the movie's like, no, we got way more. We got so, so much more. I like as well that um, uh, Ragav, like he is offered kind of a way out of this without, yeah. um, like you said, like are are you okay for money? Because like I can loan you if, without interest. If you, if you need money, I can give you money. I I won't charge interest or anything like that. But um, just goes ahead and does it anyway. Like to to meets his peril <laughs> for no reason. Well, I think it's the family business, really. Like, it's just a really messed up family business. Because <laughs> that's why the son is like, we can scale this up, dad. We can <laughs> we can change this. We can be better. Because it's the family business. He's training to take it over. And he, he like, 
his dad will be no good after being burnt like that. But the money will be fine. Yeah. Yeah, the <laughs> uh, gold will be fine. Like if it's in a pool or a mush, you just wait for it to set and just dig it out when it's done. But like that's the thing is like I I quite like that aspect of it where it's it's because it's it's about pride and it's about ego. So like Ragev being given that out, where it's like, look, I'm risking my life. You just have to accept my money. You have to accept, and by accepting that, you accept that the power balance is different between us. Because like when he first shows up, Ragav is like, "Look, have you? Uh, I could offer you a job. You could work for me. You could work off your debt to me because I'm your father-in-law. I'm the man of the house. I am the person who holds power." And I like the idea that like the simple fact of Vinyak having that money upsets the balance so much that Ragav is like, "I will not lower myself." to like ask my son-in-law for money because that would demean me or belittle me or make me indebted to him. And so he's like, no, I would rather um, climb inside a giant throbbing womb and get swallowed by a demon erased from history uh, than like just ask my son-in-law if he could loan me some money so I can buy an opium den or get a license for opium. And again, like again, the way in which that, that again ties through into the like greed so permeating society that like it's even part of colonialism. Where you have like the British officers who are like, yeah, I've been uh, promoted, but I, I want to make a bit of a kick. You know, I want to make a bit of kickback. I want to make some earnings while I still can in this assignment that I have here. So let's just, uh, you know, you, uh, cut, I, was it, I cut my uh, my fee down to 200, 2000, you know, I'm cutting you a square deal here. I love the idea that everything in this movie comes down to cash and like how without without any value. Like, it's just money without value, which I find fascinating. That's true. None of it is is valued. I did like the scene, the first scene with the English officer that felt like, I mean, he sounded kind of South African, so I wasn't <laughs> sure what was going on there. But um, I was like, he's supposed to be English, I guess. Uh, but I thought it seemed like a cut scene from a video game. It was yeah. shot so head on and the dialogue was like, and then I will go do this and you do this. And this is because of this. Okay, bye. It was so ridiculous and stagey. But it, it kind of fit with the weird tone of the movie because it is kind of all over the place. Like there's this yeah. intimate family drama. There's the crawling into a giant womb. <laughs> like there's the the father-son dynamic. Well, I mean, like, like again, it's worth noting that like the, the actor um, who is Cameron Anderson, who plays the sergeant there, like his biggest screen credit to date is playing like a young soldier in the bank job. The Jason Statham kind of 2008 movie. And like... There's a wonderful moment where, like, he's ca- like he's getting acupuncture. There's the moment where Ragev is kind of like walking up the steps, carrying his his bicycle. And again, like this this idea of how important like power is that it's like you can tell that Ragev really resents the fact that he has to answer to Cooper, this kind of like drunken Englishman who's getting like acupuncture because he finds it interesting, and he has to like smile and grin and be polite to him. But like the moment when they're walking up the steps and like an airplane goes overhead and the mistress that has just literally been bought, she cowers and she hides. And like Ragev is like, what are you doing? You're embarrassing me. And you have this kind of like this this little sense of like increasing modernity kind of creep, like basically coming into it. And like, I think it's, it's what Joey said there. It's the idea that like as time goes on, the scale of this stuff just gets bigger. Like I love that like Vignac begins commuting to Tumbad by getting on a bus and then he like buys himself a motorbike and sunglasses like proper Terminator 2 style and then by like the final stage he's driving like a proper 
semi-fancy car along the road and you have this idea that yeah it just scales upwards as it goes like nothing is ever enough there's never a point where anybody in this movie is going to be happy they will just continuously want more which i thought was kind of interesting in terms of like scale i was wondering how the son was going to get home in the end though (laughs) when it was all over and he was just sort of walking dejectedly like soaking wet out of the mansion i was thinking where is this child going I guess that yeah. bus. Maybe. I guess he. I hope maybe, he gets the yeah. bus. Are, are, like I. I feel like he's probably old enough to drive that car back. <laughs> well, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, I guess he'll drive the car back. Fair enough. Did he not take the money though? He's got to take the money or go back for the money. I was thinking. I was thinking he must. He must take the money. But it was like, yeah, I. Sadly walked I, off. I hate him if he doesn't. Like, <laughs> you know, the, the, Vignac died like, for nothing. Is, um. He, yeah, it, this is what you wanted, isn't it? But he could be breaking That's the sense. cycle. He could be thinking, no, you know, it's gone too far now. My dad has died in pursuit of this. I don't think this is that kind of movie. I don't think this is a movie where characters learn important life lessons and decide that, no, I'm I'm going to keep going. Like, because like Vignac in the opening sequence, Vignac's brother like dies and they have that, yeah. they have that like wonderful, like it's a wonderfully atmospheric shot. Again, so much of this movie is told silently and I wonder if that's part of the reason why it's does so well internationally because like it's it's mm. a very visually uh like it's it, this the narrative is told in a very visual style but that shot of them watching the funeral pyre for his brother and then like in the distance kind of like getting ready to go and the, even like the funeral pyre for the old man who runs the mansion his father but like yeah i love that he he doesn't learn anything like his brother dies like as a result of this whole monstrous weird thing they have in Tumbad. His mother's like, fine, we're getting the feck out of Tumbad. We're leaving Tumbad because Tumbad Is that why he dies? Doesn't he just fall off a tree? Yeah, he does fall off a tree, but don't they, they but they have a conversation beforehand about how even discussing it is cursing. How even discussing this curse um, I I don't know. maybe that's a bit too much, but the kid does fall off. But the crack of his head on the on the rock yeah. was just yeah. and the shot again that kind of shot that intense close up of him on the rock yeah. as well, really unsettling as well. But like yeah no I like I I love that that Vignac learns absolutely nothing over the course of the film, and like I the idea that his son will have learned all the wrong things because you have that again it, it's that idea of like inheritance and passing down and the idea of it as a generational saga, like because the thing that her like his his grandmother says to him entering those gates is your own choice after that nothing else will be not everything you inherit should be claimed son and the idea that like this greed is just a disease that is kind of passed down from one to the next and there's no escaping it and like even if you realize at the end that you've gone too far or you lost too much like his mother who like did all that terrible stuff with his father like for the promise of a single gold coin like even her at the end saying it wasn't worth it it's too late because her son has already learned no the the gold coin is the most important thing and what if you could have more gold coins i kind of well yeah a lot of striving a, a lot of kind of greed is about kind of you know having a legacy it's not about enjoying it but pulling yourself up by your bootstraps as well it's this sort of this untouchable kind of idea that if you just keep trying keep trying keep trying eventually you'll get there 
Yeah. which obviously we know to be false yeah and fruitless and, and, yeah. and empty and hollow as well like again really like i i really like this like again it's it's not a particularly subtle movie when it comes to greed for lack of a better word is bad uh but i like that it just it hammers it consistently there's there's never a moment in this film where the movie's not going you know what maybe this isn't so bad it's like no this is pretty consistently terrible throughout which i kind of there's no contrast nobody shows up to be like oh i am poor but i'm happy no (laughs) no it's just it's there there are no have nots really it's just kind of the haves but they behave like have nots and and again like and again i i don't know enough about indian cinema to kind of like suggest anything like this but i I find it interesting how much the, the like you have this unfolding against like the backdrop of the foundation of the indian state like the moment where he comes back like from his first visit to Tumbad as an adult, he comes back and the children are painting Indian flags. And like then later on, you have his wife talking about how she threw out a British made doll. And he was like, oh, it's it's grand. It only costs 10 rupees. That's fine. But I, I kind of, again, the idea that you have, which is the foundation of the state. And I, I don't think it's a particularly Indian thing. Like I think like there's a lot of stuff in Ireland as well, where we talk about like the founding of the Irish state and the idea that, you know, in our Irish constitution, we have like principles that are supposed to be about like the protection of the individual and the, you know, the unenforceable provisions of the constitution, which are like everybody has a right to a house or a home or to protection or to food. And like those aren't legally enforceable provisions, but they're like ideological statements within the constitution. But the idea of then going, but yeah, but look at what happens when the country got prosperous. Like, look at who actually profited from that and, like, who gained from that. And, like, I get the sense that this is maybe saying something similar about India, where it's like, yeah, this is against the backdrop of India becoming its own nation, becoming its own self. But at the same time, we're not telling you a story about nationalism. We're not telling you a story about, like, identity. We're telling you a story about how every single aspect of this culture comes back to money in the end of things. It all boils down to whether you have it or you don't. And if you don't have it, you want it. And if you have it, you don't have enough of it to be secure or comfortable. So you'll do all these terrible things. Again, like it's it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a horror movie. It's pretty bleak. Pretty, pretty, pretty bleak, I think. Is there anything else you want to talk about, actually? Anything that we haven't discussed already jumping out in terms of, like, Tumbad, in terms of, like, discussing this this horror movie? Anything that anything from your notes, guys, that we want to kind of talk about? Any scenes, any beats, any themes, any the ideas? The score makes it sound like an adventure movie, <laughs> like an Indiana Jones movie, which I found very strange. Just sometimes it'll be like, do-do-do, <laughs> off we go. And it was like, what? <laughs> but the womb. <laughs> They're going into the womb. There's, there's a moment early on where it sounds like it's playing the opening bars of Ode to Joy, but in a very mournful and very low key. Uh, we should mention, by the way. There is some Beethoven when he gets the gramophone. Ha. Ah, the gramophone. <laughs> but the, like, again, this is one of the interesting things about like Tumbad. We mentioned it being like an international production, like special effects by Sean Whelan and Filmgate Films in Sweden. And like Prasad and the team would visit Sweden to work with the kind of special effects. The music was composed by a Danish composer by the name of Jesper Kidd, uh, who's ki- who like primarily does video game soundtracks, which may explain that kind of adventure movie aesthetic that you referenced there. Um, I think he did the Assassin's Creed video games. And he talked about how like he never met any of the like actual people working on the film in person. 
Instead, he would just have like Skype calls with a 12 hour time delay while trying to soundtrack the film as well. And again, I, I find like, again, this is one of those things where you look at how the film industry is kind of changing and how global it's becoming, where it's like, yeah, this is an Indian film that is a co-production with Sweden that was scored from Denmark. Um, and how it, it manages to all kind of fit together. And as we already mentioned, it's like it's based on like writings by an Indian author who's inspired by Stephen King and H.P. Lovecraft. But it's also features musical numbers and slow motions like Bollywood films. It's I, I kind of like how everything this movie is, which is kind of. Fascinating. Yeah, it, it definitely is throwing a lot at the wall. But I mean, I think a lot of it works. And I think. Especially with horror movies, when you see that they're that they're trying to ape kind of their American forebears, it can be kind of off-putting. Especially because it usually doesn't hold up to it. But with this one, it's it's very at least to me, it feels very authentically Indian. But as you say, it's still kind of following the horror rules in a way. Like I thought that shot of um of the dad at the end, I thought he kind of looked like a deadite. Yeah. And I don't know if that was purposeful, but if it was, that's pretty cool because it's a pretty cool nod, you know, to the Evil Dead. But at the same time, there weren't kind of, there wasn't that signposting of this is Halloween. This is the thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That can be kind of annoying and that can take you out of it. But because it was such an international production, I wonder if that's why it feels more universal. Because yeah. there's so much kind of in there. It's kind of a melting pot. Like, I feel like, you know, again, I feel like I don't know enough about, like, Indian independence to talk about that aspect of it. But I feel like the themes of the movie are broad enough that I can say, you know what, it feels a little bit like, you know, these other things, these other discussions that we've had, which is, is interesting. Like, again, how how broad and how universal it feels is is remarkable while still feeling specific. It's, a, it's that balance between the two extremes that I, I find unique like it, it's that it's it is so specifically indian but also you could put this in front of anybody who likes horror and they would not be lost watching it i don't think like they would understand the tropes and the language and the convention like as as we mentioned things like the fact the mother says don't ever come back to tumbad and he immediately comes back to tumbad and you're like okay i get it 15 years oh. later <laughs> <laughs> within the context of the movie well, yeah within a single cut in this movie he immediately goes back yeah. to Tumbad. but i do kind of like you understand as somebody who watches horror it's like oh yeah no i i get the rules i, I understand the logic here and like that sequence where and again this is something actually maybe like for joey as a, as a horror fan like even that little sequence later on where they're like with Has with Hastor Hathor, where they're like Oak Aster, where they're like, Okay, we figured out the rules of this horror movie. We figured out the logic that drives this creature and how it behaves. So in the third act of this horror movie, we are going to use the rules that govern the behavior of this creature to our advantage and figure out how to get what we want from it. That's like a trope that I associate with a lot of kind of modern American horror, like, you know, the the wave. So like in the 90s, you had like movies like Scream, which were all about, oh, the rules of horror are where you have like Randy and Scream kind of like sitting down and going, OK, OK, pause the movie. Three rules of horror if you want to survive a horror. One, don't have sex. Two, never, ever leave to investigate a strange noise. And it's like, oh, we're self-aware now. But then you, you get to the twenty the 2000s, the 2010s, and you start seeing movies like It Follows, right? For example, It Follows is a great example of this, where they're like, so the rules of the monster are 
you pass it on like an STD and it, it hunts whoever is its latest target. And if it kills them, it will double back then and kill the person who infected that person. And so you have throughout the characters figuring out how to game those rules and how they can manipulate those rules for their own ends. Um, and this feels very much like that, which is kind of interesting because it's it's a very classic gothic horror in many ways in that it's, it's like, as we mentioned, it's the fall of the House of Usher. It's like, ooh, there's something rotten beneath this, like, family home and this inheritance that you pass down from generation to generation. But it's also like, oh yeah, no, but there, there are rules and our characters are smart enough and savvy enough to, like, figure out that they can game the system and play by the rules. And, you know, I also do love that the movie's like, no, no, you can't. You you never win. You will never win. Um, Plan is never to kill the monster. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, they they do try to kill the monster in It Follows. Like, like there's a whole big sequence. No, no, in this movie. Yeah, yeah well, it's it's like, let, well, he's a god. Let's think of ways of exploiting this 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 monster more. Let's not let's not avoid this monster. Let's not destroy this monster. Let's but that's a good point. Out. Why don't they just try and kill him? Maybe they're afraid the purse will go with him. Yeah. Because they do kind of dissipate, don't they? So maybe the purse will yeah. also disintegrate. I mean, and again, like, it's also, I suspect, it is also a god. It is also, like, something that they do worship on some level. Like, I love that, like, even in... I love, by the way, the really crummy, like, temple. that it, Like, I love that, like, the, the mansion at Tumbad is, like, run down and dilapidated. But I love that the, the, little, the little monument that they have built to Haster, like, behind the cage... Like, in the corner of the room. It's creepy, but it's also goofy. It's like, do you spend an afternoon on that? Yeah, I'll spend an afternoon. Ah, it's, it's good enough, right? It's good enough. Fine, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. We're, we're not going to see much of it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, Every time it shows up, you're like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> Who thought this was okay? Um, and I, I love that, like, that Haster doesn't really look like it at all. Like, it's not even painted no! red, which I kind of, But And I love that it kind of fits with, like, the general aesthetic of, like, how crummy the whole place is, where it's like, it feels like they're their approach to worshipping this creature would be so half-assed. They're like, it has two eyes. It uh, has a mouth. It's uh, holding a coin. That, that's it. It's it, that, it's, it's half-assed, right? It's gotta be big, half-assed. Big gotta giant be. baby. Big giant yeah. baby. Like, it... I, I, like, no wonder Haster is pissed. He's like, this is what you gave me? This doesn't even look like me. I'm a skinny that, little red man. Well, I mean, to be fair, Haster probably didn't sit and pose for the portrait. I feel like I feel like <laughs> Haster probably didn't sit still long enough to get a kind of a good look at them. Yeah, the fair is how he looks as a baby. Yeah, that's that's fair. I I was expecting a big baby to show up. I was a little bit disappointed when this like creepy red devil man. I was glad it wasn't a baby. baby. I thought the baby was going to be awoken and be like, "Wow, you woke me up!" <laughs> like a master needs love. Um, yeah <laughs> want dough <laughs> Aster does want dough I love that the trade is dough for dough by the way um, yeah that's brilliant <laughs> but why when he puts the pebbles in and he's like oh yes we you know the pebbles slow him down I'm thinking I bet they do he eats pebbles <laughs> it's good for his it's good for his digestion you know it, it probably helps his digestion right but but again as you said it obeys its own rules so we kind of don't mind you just kind of go along with it oh yeah they're in a big room yeah he eats yeah. pebble dough <laughs> cool he's gonna go with it yeah just, that, what, what you gonna do um all right is there anything else we're talking about anything that we haven't discussed already with combat anything kind of jumping out at people from their notes so andrew joey all right then 
I think that about then wraps it up. Um, all right, then what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners, something you're enjoying at the moment. It can be something related to the movie we just discussed. It can be something completely unrelated. Just something that is bringing you a little bit of joy and you think that you might want to share with listeners in the world. So to give Joey a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. So um, listeners who watched this movie um, may have done so on Amazon Prime. Maybe you have Amazon Prime because you really love free shipping. And you haven't really kind of checked out many of the, the shows on it. I haven't really found it to be a great treasure trove of stuff. No, it's a lost leader. Um, it's, it's like, it's, yeah. very, it's a magazine rack, I, basically, is what it is. It's a magazine rack at a sorry? checkout. That's yeah, it's a magazine rack at the checkout is what, what Amazon Prime is to Amazon, yeah, basically. Yeah, but the one thing I will recommend... Well, I recommend two things, and one will be a kind of a softer recommendation. One thing I can wholeheartedly recommend is The Night Manager on um, Amazon Prime. It's great. It's terrific. It's um, um, it's uh, it's Tom Hiddleston kind of doing his um, James Bond audition. His, his James Bond audition. It's um, I guess it's Elizabeth Debicki doing her Tenet audition, but it should be the <laughs> other way around. Um, be, 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 because it's a much better role here and um yeah it's john le Carey. it's 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 one of john le Carey's best kind of uh novels in fact I, I, it was one of the four that he chose um along with uh taylor of panama uh, the spy who came in from the cold and take your daughter sort of spy as his own um, best works is it which I kind of agree with. I believe I understand that the Taylor Panama movie is 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 maybe not great, um, and they, uh, probably Constant Gardner would be Constant Gardner, Tinker Taylor, Soldiers by the Night Manager, and I don't know about the the I did I did enjoy the Spy Who Came In from the Gold, but I don't know if I would put it in like the top four. I'd probably put a Most Wanted Man. You didn't watch it. You watched it. You watched it. I did. I don't know how we got into a discussion of John Le Carre. I guess from the Night Manager. <laughs> um, I I liked um I liked uh, a Most Wanted Man. It's very close to the novel, and um like with 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 some very minor exceptions. Uh, and Philip, one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's last performances as well. Um, uh, pretty much, yeah. He he had done. It was the last uh, movie released while he was still alive, I think. Um, and my, uh, the last movie that he did in in full, some of uh, the um, Hunger, Games Hunger Games with CGI, if I remember, uh, was released after yeah. he died uh, posthumously. Yeah. Um, or- Sorry, it was redundant. <laughs> Posthumously. <laughs> After he died. Posthumously. <laughs> Did he die posthumously? Um seems like an interesting thing to do. It's an interesting way to do it, an unconventional approach. Um oh by the way, I should mention correction for earlier in the podcast. I said that Tumbad was a novel written by a Narian Darap. It was not, it was written by S. N. Penst. Um, and by the way, Tumbad is a real village that exists. It's apparently enjoying a minor tourist bump as a result of this movie, which is interesting. Cool. It is famed for its local crocodiles. There we go. There's a Ooh. fun fact. Um, and Joey, what would you recommend for listeners? Uh, I want to recommend another horror movie. If you liked this one, there's a Turkish horror movie called Baskin. It's kind of like the Turkish Hellraiser. But, I mean, that's kind of doing it a disservice, but it's like this, but much, much darker. It takes it even further. It's a lot of body horror. It's kind of tough to watch, tough to stomach. So if you like this and you thought, oh, this was grisly, but I want a bit more of that, watch Baskin. 
Um, also, Censor, which is a really, really brilliant horror movie. I think we're actually getting it in cinemas over here and in the UK in August. So next, so watch out for it oh, so- with our own Neve Algar in the lead role. Not British, even though Empire Magazine thought she was. Put her in best of British. She's not British. Um, she's ours. But yeah, that's a great movie. Just a great horror movie in general. I don't know. Horror is kind of having a strange moment right now because we have all the big ones, like I said, The Conjuring and The Quiet Place, whatever. But on the indie side, it's really, really, it's strong right now. There's a lot of really, really great stuff coming out. It's nice, though, that they're saying that if Irish people were British, we would be the best of British. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Like they, it's so strange because they say the, the first sentence is Irish actor. And I'm thinking, well, why is she in this then? She's not I British. Mean, honestly, like having lived in the UK, there's a lot of people who don't really kind of um, see the difference. Get it. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult to explain to them. Yeah. As well. <laughs> we're not yours. Huh? <laughs> I don't get no, it. But, explaining where i was from because i'm from the northwest it's like is that they they say it's like southern ireland but they say that in northern ireland as well they do say say like southern ireland and we don't say that really because i consider southern ireland like cork and places like that but like people on the continent i met a dutch guy who was like oh but ireland's part of the british isles i'm like no it isn't the british isles are the british isles and ireland is over here what are you talking about but that must be how they think of us as just one big lump. I mean, like, again, there's that really depressing Channel 4 news segment during Brexit. Yes. Where they ask... They don't even seem that thick, the people no. in the segment. No. Like, they, I don't think they've gone looking for, like, the thickest people in no, the UK. No, no, no. But they're, they're like, yeah, so can you draw the Irish border? So here's a picture of Ireland, and we want you to draw roughly where you think the border is. And most of them are literally just, we bisected the country. It's like, yeah, it's it's north. So it's the north. It's the north half, right? That's how it works. But like with Brexit, I mean, we were an afterthought. What are you going to do about Northern Ireland? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I have to go now. Like, <laughs> um, all right, then. And before we turn this into the Brexit cast, um, my own recommendations. Uh, first of all, to, to double down on something Joey said there, Censor, I recommended a couple of weeks ago. I think Rena McGregor oh, recommended a couple of weeks ago. It will be out next month. This is coming out in the end of July. So, yes, keep an eye out in Irish cinemas for that. It is fantastic. Um, you mentioned the fact that like low key horror is having a moment. Um, so things mm-hmm. like uh, his house on Netflix, actually, which I don't think got oh. nearly enough love. Remy Weeks, uh, I believe it, one of his is one of his early films. I don't know if it's his directorial debut. It might be his first feature, but it is absolutely gorgeous and haunting and it's well worth seeing. Terrifying yeah. as yeah. well. It is. It's so really scary. Really unsettling. So, yeah. so scary. Um, yeah. And this is probably a bit of a cheat because it's not really kind of like a low-key indie horror. But what I thought of a lot while watching this, because it's very washed out, it's very grey, it's very atmospheric, it takes a number of very weird turns during it, it is Lovecraftian in nature, and it reminded me a lot of the work of David Fincher and John Carpenter, so I feel like it's a valid point of comparison. This reminded me of David Pryor's The Empty Man, uh, which was a movie that got kind of, uh, it was... Disney bought Fox. This was on the slate for Fox. And Disney had so little faith in this movie that they pushed up its release during COVID. They were like, put it in cinemas during COVID. That's how little that's how little faith they had in the movie. Um, so it has got a second life in streaming. It's been rediscovered as something of a cult classic starring James Badge Dale. I really liked it. I, I it really kind of as a, somebody who is a big fan of like Carpenter uh, and a big fan of Fincher, it like landed in my sweet spot for horror. So I think if you like Tom Bad, 
you might give the empty man a go as well. All right, then. So before we wrap up. Uh, Did you say sweet spot? Yeah, sweet spot. Okay, sorry. What did you think he said? <laughs> I thought he said his G-spot. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, this is a movie with a giant, um, yeah, um, yeah, giant, a giant womb. Um, I beg your pardon. Sorry. I, 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 I was like, I should tell him. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's not how we use that term. Um, I do, I do love that if Andrew were the... Oh, we could start. We could start using <laughs> yeah, that I term. Yeah, we could start using yeah. it. Um, yeah. I, I love... I love that if Andrew were in Tumbad, that might be one of his pitches. It's like, okay, so we're going down into the womb. I have a couple of questions I want to unpack here before we do that. Um, but anyway, so before we wrap up, where can we find you, Joey? Watch out. What are you doing? What's up with you? Where are you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at JoeyLDG. You can find all my ramblings as well as all my reviews on there. Perfect. Um, and you can follow the podcast. We're online. We're on Stitcher and SoundCloud, wherever good podcasts are available. Um, you can find us there. We're also on Twitter. We're at at the 250. And as we alluded to earlier in the podcast, we are kicking off in August our Indiana summer. We are covering all four movies in the Indiana Jones franchise, one a week to get us through the month. The wonderful Tony Black will be joining us as co-host for all four. For the first episode covering Raiders, which is next week, we'll have the wonderful Niall Murphy. For Temple of Doom, following us the week after that, the fantastic Alex Towers. And then for uh, Last Crusade, we'll have the fantastic uh, Dee Malumbi coming on to join us. So we've got a wonderful four weeks uh, lined up covering the Indiana Jones franchise. And then we'll be hitting our 250th episode where I think we will be talking about Tenet. Yep, we're there, baby. Take it easy, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time, Joey. Really, really enjoyed this. This Thank you very much, Joey. Perfect. Happy to do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, perfect.